Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Mike Ingersoll. And John Siegley is not with us this evening. I know some of you were expecting him. He is tied up at work, real life calls. So I'm doing it and we'll get right into it. Let's start with what we just talked about, gentlemen, off the air and for those of you listening, if you haven't listened to Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, my podcast from yesterday, it's relevant. Um, so I would stop this one, listen to that one. Um, but let's talk about quarterback position and leadership. And Buck, I'll come to you first um, before we get Mike's player perspective. We talked about Chaz Surratt and Nathan Elliott and their leadership abilities and skills and whatnot. And I think, and we can debate this, but I think for a player to be a good leader in college, he needs to be likable and liked, well-liked by his teammates. Your thoughts there, I mean, we've had a long history of watching North Carolina football players, and I think the ones that we would consider to be the big-time leaders over the years fit into that category, but what's your thought on that? I think there's a lot to that. I, I wouldn't disagree vehemently with that, but, you know, in certain situations – I, you know, I don't really even know at the time it, it wasn't an issue because everybody knew that like him or not, like him, Mitch Trubisky was going to be the starter. If you didn't like him, well, that's on you because he's going to be the quarterback. I, I think this uh, leadership and likability and uh, all of that comes into play maybe more so when you have a situation like UNC has now where you've got one guy that, didn't really at least visibly portray a lot of leadership skills or some optics that were just bad with um, Chaz Surratt last year, sitting on the sidelines to himself, uh, those kinds of things. And, and if you think about it, there are other quarterbacks that have had similar kinds of issues and criticisms. Uh, if you think back, um, Mike probably, and maybe, maybe Tommy both will, uh, recall that at one point, some of the same comments were being made about Cam Newton at um, with the Carolina Panthers. That uh, you know his his leadership skills weren't there. The, the optics were bad for him on the sidelines. Uh, all that sorts of thing. I really think more so than than uh, those optics that give us clues as to you know whether this guy has leadership skills or not. Um, I think maybe more so it's, you know, can this guy help us win? Because you know, I think at every level, whether you're talking about, you know, Tommy's you know, baseball team, you know, coaching, what are they, 12, 11, 13, 14, Tommy? Getting old, yeah. 14. 14, whether it's a 14-year-old <laughs> baseball players or whether you're talking about, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old college kids or, 
you know, in some cases, 30 year old professionals. Um, you know, there's, there's a reason why people are drawn to competitive sports and, you know, maybe there's multiple reasons why they're drawn there, but when you're involved in a competitive activity, um, of any kind, you're, you're there because you want to win. Nobody goes into it saying, Hey, I'm just going to, you know, uh, participate and what the heck, you know, if you're into it at that level, you want to win. And I think the guy that helps you win is the guy you're going to like better. And, and you're going to look to that guy for leadership skills. So, you know, we can, you know, talk about this at different levels, but you know, in, in many cases, I think it, it, ventures into speculation uh, territory and we really haven't seen everything there is to see about Chas Surratt's leadership ability in, in the games that he played last year. I would reserve my opinion on that uh, to a later date. Well, I don't disagree there at all. And for folks wondering why we're even talking about, it, I just think it's a good thing to explore given like you said earlier, Carolina's quarterback situation going into this season, Mike, your thought on it. I mean, if you've got a guy, uh, of course, everybody wants to win. If I had a nickel for every time a college athlete in my time covering and interviewing these guys for inside Carolina for a nickel for every time I heard, I don't care as long as we win. Um, I'd probably get a cup of coffee at one of those fancy restaurants in Chapel Hill. <laughs> But Mike, you, your thoughts on this? I mean, leadership skills, um, leadership ability on the college level versus maybe on the professional level, sports-wise, or even uh, you know outside of sports. Your thoughts about that likability factor for these guys? Yeah. So I'll start off my my answer with with this. I mean, I draw from my own experience, right? So our quarterback, my quarterback was TJ Yates and he was a four-year starter and started as a redshirt freshman when we were redshirt freshmen in 2007. And one thing that I noticed the progression of TJ's career, and I would certainly call TJ the leader of the team uh, by 2009, 2010, he absolutely was uh, regardless of how he was playing or how, how the fans might've perceived he was playing um, his ups, his downs, all that. He was the he was the leader in the locker room. And the reason he was the leader in the locker room was because of the progression he made over the previous two to three years. Um, when he was a freshman, despite being the quarterback and that being the number one position, nobody was looking to him for real leadership. And what set him apart ultimately was his uh, him proving that he could produce. And we talked, you know, Buck talked about this a little bit a minute ago, and it's, you know, the guy that can help you win is the guy you're going to be naturally, you're naturally going to gravitate to, especially when you're in a community of type A uh, you know, winners, you know, people that want to win or focus on winning, you're going to be drawn to the person that's going to help you do that. So there's a prove it factor to leadership. And that's at every level. That's it. That's at the peewee level. That's at the little league level. That's at the high school level, college pros, you know, you've got to prove it. And if you show that you can get the job done and that I can rely on you and I don't have to worry about you, I will certainly be drawn to you and I'll put my faith and my trust in you. Now the, you brought up an interesting point, Tommy, about the difference between college and the pros. And there is a difference in that leadership dynamic in terms of the, the, the prove it aspect and the likability aspect. Um, you know, we talked about off air, you know, you made a good point yourself, Tommy, that, you know, you're getting, you're getting paid to do a job at the pro level versus in college, it's more of a social club. Um, you know, we're not, we're not being paid uh, at least, you know, not to the extent of 
professional athletes, but <laughs> we're we're not you're not, you're not getting paid at the college level the way you are at the pro level, and that does change things because when you have a check riding on it, you're a lot less concerned about the leadership dynamic on your team or who is leading your team. You're really more concerned with it's more self-preservation. And am I going to be able to keep my job now that that is directly, you know, you being able to keep your job does have a relationship to the people that you're playing with. Um, If everyone's playing bad and the staff gets canned, most of the team the next year is going to get canned too, because the new staff is going to clean house and bring in their own people. So you, you are reliant upon others at the professional level, but that, that leadership thing, you've got a lot of guys that can, you know, they're self-starters and they don't really need, they don't need to look to someone else for, for guidance. They don't need to look to someone else for motivation. All the motivation you need is, you know, you working and keeping your job uh, by Sunday. And then, sun, you know, Monday afternoon, when you come into the football center, you have a check in your locker. That's, that's your motivation. That's, that's, that's how you keep yourself going. It, it isn't, it's far less what the people around you are doing and far more what you know you have to do to be successful. Um, and that's just a reflection of, all the self qualities that are all the personal qualities that got you to that level in the first place. And you got to remember you're, you know, you're in a locker room full of guys that, that all share those qualities with you, but college is a different animal. College is more social. You are younger, you're more impressionable and you still have that pack animal mentality. Um, I always found it, I always found the, the leadership dynamic on, uh, on higher level athletic teams, whether it be football, baseball, basketball, hockey, what have you, I always found that that leadership dynamic in the team setting at the higher level is very interesting, right? So you have, just like Buck said, you have a room full of people that want to win. And you have a room full of people who are all type A. Most of them, for the, for the most part, are self-starters, like I was talking about. Um, they're highly motivated, highly successful people, right, who in any other walk of life would probably be the leader, right? And then from that group of, we'll call them, you know, you, from a pool of leaders, you have one, two, three people that actually separate themselves even further from that group. That's that cream rises to the top kind of thing. That that was that's just kind of an aside. That's a you know I guess a sociological, uh, maybe even psychological component to all that. that I always found very interesting that you know in in that environment, an environment full of people that see themselves as leaders, even those type of people will fall in line behind somebody who separates themselves even further. And you see that significantly at the college level, and that's what makes a lot of college teams very successful. It's not a it might sound cliche, but it's it's really not uh, lip service to say that your leadership does matter and it will have a direct correlation to wins and losses. Great point there. And, and you kind of you know, brought it to relevance uh, with the Chaz Rett discussion is, you know, he's still young. He's still, you know, he'd be what, a red shirt sophomore this coming year. So he's got plenty of time to really get into that. And, and a guy like TJ Yates, who I think everybody liked, um, didn't really become a leader until deeper into his career. Um, when he had been through the wars, been through you know wins and losses, and he finally got there, and so that that's why it's relevant to what's going on with this football team, and I think it'll continue to be relevant for you know the rest of the spring over the summer as we really build some uh, dynamic between you and your your teammates, especially your wide receivers and running backs, and then on into the fall. So it's something we'll watch, and we'll probably talk about a lot on this and that's podcast. Why I'm, I'm- and you're right, Tom. That's why I made that point. That's why I analogized the TJ a little bit. And it's, it's just, you know, you got you to think about this, too, with Chaz being a freshman. He hasn't been there that long. And the older guys on the team haven't been exposed to him for that long. And at that level, right, at the college level, it is harder. You still have that, you know, it's kind of like when you're, when, you're, when you're younger or, I guess, when you're, when you're a senior in high school, 
right? Uh, it's, it's harder to hang out with the freshmen. Uh, you know, you hang out with the people that are around your own age and you look to the people that are kind of your own age socially. College is the same general dynamic. You're a little bit older, but that doesn't really leave you. So it's harder for older guys to rely on a younger guy, even if he is the quarterback, um, and look to him to be the leader because, you know, well, if I'm a fifth-year senior, I've been here for five years. This kid's been here for 18 months. You know, he hasn't seen the things I've seen, and, and he doesn't know the things that I know. So, you know, how, how is he going to lead me? It should be the, the other way around. There is a little bit of that dynamic that goes on, too. And once they know what they have in Chaz, if Chaz is the guy moving forward, uh, once they know what they have in him, you're going to see that dynamic completely change. The, the sideline demeanor and the body language and the posture and all that, that will all change. You'll see that, that team relationship start to, uh, start to focus on Chaz a little bit more from a leadership perspective. Great stuff there. But let me ask you this. We're in spring practice, and uh, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but um, from a media perspective, um, being able to cover spring football, it's different across the gamut, but Carolina's more locked down. It seems like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, they're more locked down this year for whatever reason. You know, I, I have my thoughts on that. I think when you're three and nine, you need to – let everybody in, come get in, build the fan base and, and do all that. But your thoughts on, you know, covering this team in this spring and, and what you've kind of gleaned from the practice reports and the discussions. I mean, how do you think this spring's going from your perspective, from your historical perspective, following other teams, following other North Carolina teams? Where is this team on the scale of, you know, coming off a three and nine record and moving forward, just general thoughts on spring, really? Well, I'm going to have to go with general uh, thoughts because uh, I couldn't count the number of questions you asked me in that one. Uh, yeah, that's why I just kind of wrapped it there. up. <laughs> I don't even know, hardly know where to start now, but I, I'll go with this. Um, one thing to keep in mind about spring practice this year is that it's different from a, I don't even know the right word to use. I'm going to say feng shui perspective, but because it's taken place in Keenan stadium and those covering spring practice have to stand, uh, behind a, like a yellow police tape, uh, this, uh, across the, uh, the entranceway steps of the stadium. So, you're separated from the players by a good, I don't know, closest you can get to them from where you are in the stands is maybe 15 yards, 20 yards, something like that. It's a, there's a lot of distance between uh, the media that's covering spring practice uh, this year and from the typical spring practice. Uh, the typical spring practice, Tommy, you've been out there in today, uh, you're, you're dodging players on the field. I mean, there's a couple of uh, fields at Navy Field that they're using simultaneously. Typically, you know, defense will be using one, offense will be using the other. Uh, they'll use one field to, you know, practice field goals and whatnot, and the other field's in use for, you know, something else is going on over there and the individual drills are, are right. You're right there next to the guys, and it gives you a different perspective. If I'm standing, you know, within a couple of feet of Marcus McKeithen, 
I'm going to have a different perspective on him than if I'm viewing him 20 yards away. And, and Mike has been at practices too. He knows how it is with media. I mean, sometimes they're just in the way or they try to get out of the way. Yeah. You have to dodge them sometimes. But, uh, so from a, from an actual observation perspective, from where the media is actually allowed to view practice this year, it's not great. You, you, you can't hear, you know, one of the fun things about being at practice for uh, media people is that uh, you can hear the coaches talking to the players loud and clear and exactly what they're saying. Sometimes it's humorous. Sometimes it, you know, it's sort of mind blowing. Some of the things they say, you can watch uh, people like Gary Tranquil, you know, sling his hat and, you know, get all crazy and you're, you're right there watching it. And so, you know, it's, it's completely, it's a completely different feel this year, which is one reason why it may seem like that it's a little more closed off than normal. Um, so that's what I would lead with. The second point though, is it seemingly everybody should know going into spring practice, there was going to be zero conversation about which quarterback is separating himself from the other one. And yet reporters still want to ask that question, do ask that question. And it's gotten to the point where it's a joke, uh, among the other media members, um, when that question gets asked because there was not going to be any information about that and won't be for some time. So there's that. And because of those two factors, I think it seems like there's less information coming out of spring practice this year than normal. So there are a couple of aspects to kind of lend to the sort of blanket they've thrown over information this spring. But the other huge part of it, and you've already talked about that, Tommy, is, you know, coming off a three and nine season, I don't think they want to leave anything to chance. Anything that might come out from media reports that, in their mind, gets anywhere close to a competitive advantage for opponents, they're, they're going to want to shut that down. Uh, I do think this staff is under some pressure. Coming off a 3-9 and nine season, you would be. That's just uh, how it goes in this game. So th- those are the sort of the three main points, I would say, why this particular year seems like it, there's – more of a concerted effort to put a damper on uh, releasing a lot of information or uh, more wide open access. Mike, coming to you on that, I mean, you know, I, I certainly see Buck's point there at the end. and But I also see the other side of it is if you want people interested, you got to give them something to be interested in. And, you know, it, it's a chicken or the egg thing. It's kind of like that prove it thing we talked about earlier in the yeah, leadership yeah. deal. And so your, your thoughts on just how Fedora and his staff, well, Fedora uh, handles this type stuff. I mean, it's, you know, the diehards like the inside Carolina readers and followers are, I mean, they're probably the only people that even think about this, but your thoughts there. I mean, does it even matter in the grand scheme? Um, part of me says it does. Part of me says it doesn't. Well, part of the 
part of the experience in playing big time college football as a player is having media exposure. So Buck talked about a normal practice. You're running around, you're having to dodge media members. And maybe, you know, I guess the, the, the implication was that, or I guess he was alluding to maybe that's a little, um, that's annoying for the players every once in a while, you know, it, but to a guy like me, it never was. I always thought it was, you know, that's why I wanted to play big time college football. I wanted reporters around. I wanted there to be some buzz. I wanted there to be some attention. And honestly, when, you know, when you guys were all out at practice filming us and, and following us and writing about us and doing interviews and things like that, it, you know, the, the more media that was out there, it, the better, as far as I was concerned, it made, you know, it made me and it, it made me feel important as a member of a team that was important. Um, so there was an, you know, there was, a, there was an optics, there was a perception uh, consideration to all that from a player standpoint. And, you know, one of the things that spring ball, one of the benefits of spring ball is that as a player, you can get some exposure in the media. Um, it's basically, you know, a free run at, at some, some extra exposure throughout the year during what is a, you know, a lull in football. Obviously we don't play games in spring um, and football season is played in the falls, but this is an opportunity to keep your name, you know, in the media. And this is an opportunity to kind of keep yourself uh, in the public eye a little bit. If you're the kind of guy that the fans follow or interested or interested in, or if you're like me um, and you just want any kind of pub whatsoever, just to, just to keep your name fresh and anybody like an NFL scout or someone who might be paying attention to something like that. Um, there is something to be said for the, the more important players get more publicity and they get more press coverage and things like that. And, um, you know, scouts will lie. They'll be lying to you if they say they don't put a little bit of stock in who's getting the most media attention. So, you know, as a, a players, players understand that too, they are very cognizant of that. Um, so an opportunity to get more interviews and to get more things done and get more exposure like that from a media standpoint, it does matter to the players because frankly, spring ball sucks. You know, you, you know, you don't want to be out there. You know, one, one of the questions that, uh, I think we were, we were toying with originally, you know, talk about in this podcast is, you know, what are the players' thoughts going into spring ball? And you know, the joke, which isn't really a joke, that I was going to throw out there was, you know, what, what am I thinking going into spring ball? I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. Um, spring ball is tough, and there's no game at the end of it. There's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But one of the things truly that, that does make it, um, you know, palatable for players is that you've got some media coverage and, and you, and it's an opportunity where pretty much everybody's going to get a chance to talk to a reporter. Whereas during the season, that's not the case. Um, so that makes it fun. That aspect of it makes it fun and interesting and it keeps players engaged um, because there's a, you know, there's a, there's a personal benefit that can be derived from being out there uh, every single day with the media that close. So to get to your, to get to your big question, which is, you know, how does, how does foreclosing, um, those opportunities somewhat by, by limiting media exposure at practice or media access to practice this spring, how does that affect the players? Well, it, it affects the players in the same logical way that you would, you'd think I'm going with this. Um, you know, we, we like the exposure. We want media there. We want to talk to people, players that act like they're annoyed with doing interviews are full of crap. They love it. Um, they're just acting that way because they want you to think they're a big shot. Um, you know, we, we love that kind of stuff. What is it? What is it? What kind of message is is it sending from the coaching staff to the to the public? You know, I, I, I've always been a big proponent of as members of the media and from the outside looking in, we don't know what Coach Fedora knows, and we don't know what that staff knows. Um, you know, they know if they, they are in a much better situation or a much better position to determine whether added media exposure after a season they just had is beneficial or detrimental to their team. And the decision they'll make is based off the inside information they have from being in that building every single day. 
this coaching staff has made the decision that they want limited media access. Um, maybe that's because they feel like the team is too young and coming off a three and nine season, they need to focus. I know that we went four and eight in 2007, and that's the only time in my life that I came off of a losing season and was supremely confident that even with basically the same players going into the next season, we were going to be just fine. And we were, we, we turned it around and ended up winning eight games that next year. And I think part of the confidence that I had in that season was built up in the previous spring. Uh, there was buzz, there was excitement, there was, uh, and there, there was access to the players from the media. There was access to the players from the fans. Um, and all of that was created by uh, the coaching staff and, and, and the people associated with the program. That excitement, you know, showed that despite, despite only winning four games, we might actually be pretty good. People think we can be good. If players aren't exposed to that and they don't get this, you know, they don't see that or they don't see the, you know, the, the media is not there. The fan presence isn't there at, at practices just because they're not being allowed to. It doesn't really matter what the reason is, whether practice is closed from the coaching staff uh, or from a mandate from the coaching staff or it's closed just or not, I guess, open, but nobody's showing up. The, the end result is the same. There's nobody there at coming off of a bad season that that looks the same to a player. You know, what people may not, people must not think we're very good. Maybe the players think, you know, the coaches don't know if we're going to be very good. That doesn't make me very confident. We didn't have that issue, obviously, when I played, and I can only analogize to, to when I played, but I will pepper it with Fedora knows what he's got in that building, and he knows what he needs to do to get that team prepared. And from his perspective and from that staff's perspective right now, what they need this spring is they need an extra day of practice, not a spring game at the end, and they need limited media access uh, to keep, I guess, to keep players engaged in what's going on and not get caught up in the uh, in the ancillary things and the in, in in the fringe stuff that comes along with spring ball. I'm gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna wrap the show. I'm gonna ask you guys uh, so a couple rapid fire questions about what you want to see come out of spring ball as far as players and personnel, and we'll be right back to do that. Buck, let me go to you first. Uh, surprises that you've seen thus far, and what do you hope to see um, when the heels break spring practice, head in summer workouts, and, and on into September before that game against Cal? As far as surprises, I think um, there's probably not a lot in terms of uh, dramatics as far as uh, players are concerned, it's uh, it's good to see that uh, so far, at least, um, we've not heard uh, of any bad injury situations that have occurred during spring practice. And maybe that will hold up through fall practice and through the 2018 season. Uh, there are missing some guys that are out because they're rehabbing. Uh, guys like uh, William Sweet, you know, J.J. McCargo, some other guys that aren't there in, in, in terms of team drills. And by that, I mean something approximating a scrimmage. It's good to see some players uh, back uh, that were out a little bit last year. I, I don't think that uh, wowing anybody is the idea of spring practice this particular year. And also keep in mind that there are four new members of the staff. And so there's that, there's a lot more going on than just, um, you know, the 
uh, dynamics that you might normally see. These coaches have to get accustomed to the players. The players have to get accustomed to them. Uh, the staff chemistry uh, has to develop and emerge during this period of time. If they are contemplating any strategic changes uh, in terms of X and O's changes, if they're you know going a different way with uh, a certain uh, sort of package or a defensive package or offensive package or whatnot, uh, that installation kind of begins in the spring. You you can't just wing that and pull it out of your hat during game week. Uh, you know, once the 2018 season gets here, um, I, I I do think that uh, the team, when the individual players, and you're talking about media access, um, Mike. I mean, on Tuesday, Inside Carolina interviewed Jordan Brown. Cole Holcomb, Aaron Crawford, you know, different players, they're still getting interviewed. And, and even if it's just I see doing it, there were, there were some other people there, but of course we have the biggest presence. Um, and, but the players don't, they're not acting like they came off a three and nine season. And, and I'm not sure how to describe that. But when, when uh, you listen to the interviews, uh, watch them on Inside Carolina, the videos, and they're not hanging their heads. And, and I, I, that may be, in a way, the biggest surprise of spring practice to me is that for whatever reason, and maybe this is a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know how to characterize this, but the staff has them convinced, I believe, that you can't really take anything away from the 2017 season. There were just so many injuries, so much going on uh, in terms of players missing games, this, that, and the other, that it's, it's like a really bad loss, you know, in, in college football. Sometimes the coach says, we're not even going to look at the tape. We're going to burn that tape. Well, that's I think true. they've burnt the, the 2017 season, and, and that's where they're at right now. And I don't know how to characterize that uh, other than to say, um, I would kind of view it as a positive. Well, maybe that also explains, you know, the, the insulation from Fedora too. You know, he knows, uh, it doesn't, well, I guess on one hand it could explain it. You know, he knew that they needed to do this and it's working. And the other hand is, and the other, the other side of that is that the insulation is now justified because whatever he was doing clearly worked. Maybe it was just a, you know, we know the message you need to send to these guys and we need to keep them in a little bit of a bubble. Um, so we're going to do that. And in order to get the message conveyed and to get them to buy into it, we'll keep them in that bubble. And if that's, if that was their plan, which I don't know, it's pure speculation. Um, you know, that's the positive spin on it. And it, and then it absolutely worked. And I wouldn't put it past Fedor to do stuff like that. He's been coaching football for a long time. I mean, the guy does know what he's doing. He had one bad year. Um, he does know what he's doing and, and, and he certainly can, can manage a team. So maybe that's, maybe that's exactly what's going on. You know, Buck makes, makes some really, really good points there. So, Mike, your thoughts on players, uh, maybe you've heard about it in the course of the spring, and what have you looked for, and what do you hope to see? Uh, what do you hope the news to be is coming out of spring and over the summer as the heels head into the fall? Well, uh, over from, from an, uh, and I'll talk about two positions. I'll talk about the offensive line first, and I want, you know, J.J. McCargo's nursing some injuries. Um, you know, this is just big picture. You know, I want J.J. to be, I want him to be the guy. He showed me some things last year on film that I was, Really impressed with having to come in and you know spot duty, um, and, and and perform, and he did that. And I thought he he did it he did it well. 
Um, he did it to a degree that um, if if he only you know if he improves upon it, which the assumption is that he will improve upon the product we saw last year, then then there's a there's a really high ceiling for that guy. Another one is John or is uh, Charlie Heck. Um, Heck's got a he, he's a big body guy. Um, he was academic all ACC this this past year. We know he's smart, um, but he's he's big. He's long. He comes from a football pedigree. Um, which I never put a whole lot of stock in, but there is something to it. You know, your uh, your dad's an offensive line coach. Your brother is also a big, you know, offensive lineman. Played at the same school. It's there's there's going to be something to that. You know, and and by all accounts, he's 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 a great kid. Um, I've gotten to interact with him a, a few times. He's got a really strong handshake. He's very confident, and I think he's he's got the makings of uh, of being a very good player. Um, I don't know how, I don't know how good. I don't know what his ceiling is. I think it's pretty high, like JJ McCargo's. But I would hope that if he gained anything from from film study or from any drill work or anything from the spring and going over the you know through the summertime, uh, anything he gleans experience wise from this summer will only be a positive. And I'm looking for him to have a, br- a pretty big year next year. The other position group I want to talk about is wide receiver and Anthony Ratliff Williams. And, and I got a soft spot for Ant because he went to my high school. He went to Butler High School uh, here in, in the Charlotte area. And I actually helped coach him uh, a little bit back in 2012 when he was uh, when he was the quarterback at Butler. And he's a great kid who is a freak athlete. And you know, everything I'm seeing, everything I'm hearing is that he's poised to have a pretty breakout year. Um, and I want to see if that kid can be an all-conference player at his position. So not as a – not as a, a special teamer, but as an actual wide receiver, I, I would love to see him break out uh, and have the kind of year that he's he's capable of having. He's got all the tools. He has he he understands route concepts. Uh, he understands football generally. Um, he understands offensive football. He's got the physical tools he needs. He's got the hands. He has the speed. He has the size, the strength, the explosiveness. You know, sometimes it's all just a confidence game. And I'd love to see him clear up, clean up some of the things that he did last year. Um, that that kind of bit him you know I think about mistiming the jump in the end zone against Cal first game of the year for a wide open touchdown you know and some other you know mental things like that that uh, are are corrected with experience I'd like to see if my theory holds up that a season of real game experience makes you that much better of a football player if Anthony if Anthony Ratliff Williams is a first team all-conference player this year then that theory holds up because even with the mistakes last year he was an explosive player and he was an impact player. So I'd love to see him clean those things up and and and, and have a breakout season because, uh, one, I think he's earned it, and, two, I think uh, he certainly deserves it. I agree there. He he certainly flashed some unbelievable ability. Um, needs to clean up, like you said, some of the things. Needs to make the basic play every time and then highlight those with splash plays and, and the the what-just-happened type plays. I, I I think, to your point, I think he'll probably push for all-conference if they can get consistent quarterback play. And a lot of that stuff from the media standpoint is, you know, they, they need to see big numbers from a quarterback to give a, a receiver a chance to make a, a you know, an all-conference team or whatever. But anyway, guys, it's been fun. It's been a while, Buck, since we've talked, so I'm glad we've yeah, finally it has. Back. It has. Why don't you call me more often? What's I, up with I, that? I will. I have, to, I have to check in on the boss more often. I've been derelict in my duty. And, and Mike, I know you've got some busy activities this summer coming up, so I'm glad you had a chance to do this podcast with us. It's always a pleasure, man. Yeah, man. Love being on. Yeah, boys. Take care. Good to talk to you too, Mike. Yeah, you too, Buck. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.